All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight, if you want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, that's where we'll be tonight, Acts chapter 10. I haven't been mentioning it, but I do want to remind everybody this Sunday is Life Chain. Um, we'll meet at the courthouse at 145 for those of you interested. We have put out Facebook posts. It's been the emails. Some people aren't getting the emails from the church. Here's what's happening probably. Because it's a Gmail and it's a, it's a group mail, a lot of times they'll, they'll put in your social. Um, so check your social file for that. And sometimes it can go to spam too. It doesn't necessarily go to your inbox. So be sure and check that. And if you're not still getting it, after you check both those places, let us know. And we'll try to get it straightened out for you. But anyway, Life Chain is this Sunday. It's from 2 to, two to 3, but we meet at 145 at the courthouse to get our signs and then to, uh, um, to pray before we go out. Um, Lisa just called me now just before I walked up here. She uh, runs it and operates it and asks us to do the, uh, the benediction for it before we start. So um, very much involved. And it'd um, be great if you guys could all take that time out to, to stand up against abortion. So that is this Sunday at 145. All right. Then, tomorrow night, uh, Revelation study begins. Um, that'll be at 7 o'clock. We'll also be streaming it. Um, but it's even better if you're here because we'll, we'll do a 1,000-foot view of Revelation Probably cover the first three verses is all um, tomorrow night, um, but then also take questions and, and, and things like that so we can kind of get get rolling. I, I learn kind of funny. I, I like it when people try to teach me things, but I need them to get to the point, you know, like I'm not doing tonight. But <laughs> I, I've got things in my mind already that need to be asked before we can go any further, and so I need to get those questions out of my mind first, and then you can start teaching me because then I can pull it all together. That's just how I work. A lot of people are like, hey, we're not there yet. You got to wait till we get there. Nope, I can't wait till we get there. You got to tell me now. And then I can, you know, so I understand that. So that's how I'm going to run the study. We'll have plenty of time afterwards for questions. If you want to jump right to chapter 5 and say, okay, so what does this mean? Well, here's what it means. Now, it may not make sense because we haven't covered it all, but I will tell you and I will answer your questions the best I can for the book of Revelation. So, um, and get you and, and just, you can get everything you need that you need at the time you need it. This is the idea. So. Um, if you do watch online, you can go ahead and put those questions in the comments, and we can put them up here, and we'll, we'll try to answer those as they come up. Um, so that's that. Acts chapter 10, the works of the Holy Spirit. And it's just a wonderful, a wonderful book. Uh, Jesus has come. The first advent has taken place. God has come in the flesh. He's accomplished the task he was sent to do, the mission and that's to die on the cross for our sins. And he's been resurrected and he's now ascended into heaven. And after the ascension, he has sent the helper, which he promised. Um, if you have questions about that, it's John chapter 14, John chapter 16. Have wonderful insights into the works of the Holy Spirit and what he was sent to do. And Jesus told the disciples in chapter 1 of Acts that I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for this helper to come. I don't want you to go out and minister until the helper comes upon you. Now, they had already been filled with the Spirit. They're already saved. They're already baptized. But they needed to wait before they ministered for the upon, the Holy Spirit to come upon. And that's that rivers of living water flowing from us. God comes upon us, comes into us, and flows from us. And that's how we minister to people. Um, and so they did, and they waited. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. And we find ourselves working through the birth of the church. Many Jews have gotten saved. We've got one Ethiopian that was saved. Um, a, a neat little story from Philip there. Um, and tonight we see the Gentile church start. 
Peter gets this mission tonight in chapter 10 to begin to minister to the Gentiles. This is a new concept for them, and that's important to understand. For the Jews, they've grown up their whole life, and it's not their fault. It's just how they were raised and trained. The Gentiles are defiled permanently. They weren't to be hung around. You don't talk to them. You don't hang out with them. You don't associate with them. Um, because you're God's chosen people. You're a special people. You don't have to have any dealings with them. And it's partly true and partly, partly false. We know from the Old Testament that God had set apart Israel. He set his love upon them, not because they were great, not because they were mighty, but simply because he set his love upon them, which is meant to be an example to the whole world, that God sets his love upon us. And it's not because we're beautiful. It's not because we're perfect. And it's not because we're doing things right. It's because he sets his love upon us. And because he loved us, we love him in return is the idea. And, of course, the Israeli people were the first to be the example, the living um, picture of what that must be so that the whole world can get saved. In fact, they wanted the Egyptians to get saved during the ten plagues. They wanted these things to happen. We wanted others to come. It was never meant to be for a single group, but they've taken it that way. There's no hope for the Gentiles. They're just residual people upon the earth so that Israel can go home to be with the Lord. And so that's how they thought. So this chapter 10 is breaking boundaries. It's breaking down walls is the idea. Uh, and, and Peter, God bless him, you know, great fisherman. Uh, mouth gets ahead of him a lot of times. We know that. Um, but 3,000 people got saved at his first sermon. And so God is doing a work in Peter. And it's neat to see. It's beautiful to watch someone be used effectively instead, and yet still make all these mistakes that he, he can make throughout the New Testament that we'll see here. Um, but God has one more thing here before he begins his real ministry, and that's to get him to understand that I, I want the Gentiles saved also. I don't just want the Jews saved. I want them all. I, I, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's the world that he died for, not just a select group. So in verse 1 of chapter 10, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. Now, visions and dreams are different. I'm just going to take some time here. The vision is when you're awake, you know, maybe you daydream or whatever. This is a little different. It's a little more intense. It's a little more supernatural than just you spacing off, you know, and staring out the window. Um, but it's not a dream. The um, Bible tells us in the last days that the old men are uh, going to dream dreams and the young men are have visions, okay? Now, I, don't, I don't think that he's stuck to that. I think old men can have visions too and young men can have dreams, but that's the idea. He doesn't tell us that he does want to speak to us through those sometimes. Now, I'm hesitant to say that because sometimes I've had a dream. Now, sometimes you ate too much pizza. And you just had a weird dream, you know. It, not, not every dream needs to be interpreted. Some dreams just need to be kept to yourself because it's just weird. One of the things, <laughs> I won't tell you that to your face, but I may, if, if you see me going, hmm, I don't know about that. I, I don't know about that. Then you know that, no, nah, I don't think your dream's real. Um, I don't interpret dreams. I mean, if God wants to give me the interpretation, great. But for the most part, I'm, you know, I'm as dumbfounded as you are about what God wants to do. I, I've, I've had dreams. I've had actually two recently and um, from God. Um, I'm not going to write a book about them, and you don't get to hear about them because it's, it's really none of your business. I just wanted to let you know that it happens. But it's for God to direct me and give me some, to show me something to do. And he connected me with somebody in the church who's 
just really, I say strange and bizarre, but God's not strange and bizarre. But for as rare as that happens to me, it's pretty strange and bizarre when it happens. Okay. Um, so he does speak to us and he wants to. And I, my, how I do it is in the dreams that I had, I've had several, but the two that I had recently, and it's been in the last week, um, so God's doing something. He's about to move or do something, and I'm, he's just preparing me to, they're always calm. There's nothing ominous. I don't feel a fear. Of, there's no dread, you know. There's no whatever. Uh, it's just a, a calm, normal dream, and it made sense, you know. It wasn't my sixth-grade teacher with some sort of bug on her head riding a Pegasus or something bizarre like that, you know. What do you think it means? It means you had too much pepperoni is the idea. No, it made sense. And he confirmed it because you don't go off dreams by themselves with this person um, showing up in two different ways within a day. Um, and I don't ever see this person. And so I'm like, why do they keep coming? Oh, and I remember the dream and how it made sense. So God does want to speak to us through dreams, but don't try to make it happen. You'll, you'll know. You don't have to guess and to wonder. Okay, that being said, visions are a little different. I've never had a vision. I've never been sitting there wide awake and all of a sudden, you know, I'm making this up because I don't know what it's like, but, you know, oh, you you see everything happening in front of your face. I've never had one, so I don't know what it's really like. Peter's about to have a vision. And so this is what visions look like. What we're going to see here, what we're going to read here with Peter's vision on top of this house, um, God is going to speak to him through this vision, and so that's it. So it's it's not, it is unusual, it's rare, but it is a true way in which God can speak to us. But I believe, and I'll add this, that God confirms it through his word. It'll never, ever contradict God's word. Any dream or vision that contradicts God's word, you can toss. It's not from God. Um, it'll never contradict. It'll only be confirmed by God's word, and it'll be confirmed through other ways also, because I don't think he ever guides us specifically by those. He prepares us for something maybe but then that happens, and we realize we've been prepared for it, if that makes sense. We're going to see it here. This Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a Roman soldier. He's a centurion. He's, he's, um, not, he's middle rank, basically, charge of 100 um, or so, um, uh, but a devout man, which is what we notice here. Devout to God is the idea. He's one He fears the Lord. His whole household does. He gives alms generously, and he prays to God always. He's just got that heart. Now, that's unusual for a Roman because they're talking about the true and living God here, not just some random temple that the Romans go to because there are a lot of different ideas about gods back then. But he has a true heart for the Lord. And apparently he's been praying in such a way that he needs an answer from God. He's confused or he doesn't have all the information, so he's asking God, um, I need someone to fill me in on this. I need to understand what this means. I don't know. And I'm, I'm guessing here, but based off of how this unfolds, that's his prayer, okay? The way it's answered, the way Peter begins to speak to him, tells us that it's a full, that what Peter says is an answer to his prayer, okay? So he gets a vision of an angel of God coming to him saying, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And so he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Gives us a little clue as to what his prayer is. You know? 
And anytime you hear that, what, what must I do to be saved? It's probably what he's going. I, I see all this happening. I'm devout. I pray. I understand the scriptures. I know there's a Messiah. You know, you can kind of fill in the gaps here. And he's praying, what must I do? What's the next step? How do I go any further? And the angel comes and says, I'm going to send you Peter. I want you, actually, I want you to go get Peter and bring him to you. Ask him to come by your servants, and he's going to tell you what you must do. Okay? And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, that'd be hard for me because I would want to go, right? I would want to be the one. I want to go find him. I want to be a part of it. It's my vision. It's my mission. It's my prayer. It needs to be answered. Um, but... He, he says, I want you to send for him. Now, send men to Joppa is the, were, were the instructions. So right off the bat, we know that this guy pays attention to the details, which I think gets lost sometimes as Christians. Pay attention to the details of God's word. The specific details are, I want you to send men. I don't want you to go yourself. I want you to send me. And I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. It's not a doctrinal. I can't write a doctrinal thesis off of this. But I do notice that it's in passing. And even as a reader, I would read over that until I realized that this centurion didn't go himself. He sent people because he heard the, he heard the mission, he heard the order, and he followed it to the letter. And I like that. And I learned from that. God has specific ways of doing things. And he doesn't do it the same way every single time. And sometimes I get ahead of myself. And I like to, I like to say, yeah, 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 I know, I know. Or... I got it. Yeah, you don't have to finish the sentence. I can finish it for you. No, God says, let me finish the sentence, you know. And he does that for him. And Simon listens and hears it, and he sends people. And does it just like he was supposed to do. He picks some guys that are devout. So they're followers too. They're believers. Pick some devout guys. And then he also finds someone who's uh, um, just two servants, okay. So he gets a devout soldier and two of his servants to go with him. So three guys are going to go. He sends them, and he explained what happened to them. He's not ashamed of telling them, I had this vision. God told me that he's going to answer my prayer to this guy named Peter. I want you to get, and they're all like, all right. And that's got to be a hard thing for them, especially the two servants. Now, maybe they've been around this guy long enough to know his faith, to know his relationship with God. He's been kind. He's, he's been living out his walk to where, you know, this guy, Cornelius, he's not a crazy man. And if he saw it and he says it and he's acting rational, it must be, it must be true. And so they're not, they're not saying, okay, you know, having funny conversations on the way to Joppa, you know, can you even believe we're walking to Joppa to go tell this guy who doesn't even know we're coming that our boss had a vision and they're supposed to come with me. He's going to laugh us off the front porch, you know. None of that happens. God is at work here. God is at work in Cornelius' life. And now we're going to switch gears, and God is at work in Peter's life. God wants Cornelius to get an answer, but he has a specific person and place and time for him to get that answer, and it needs to be Peter because he wants to work on Peter, and he wants to bring these two together. It's very important to God and his plan. I settle there, and I pause for effect because sometimes I see a need. I just want to fill it. I don't pray about it. I don't ask. I don't want to. There's a need. Just do it you know, kind of thing. 
that's not how it works with the Lord. Um, one thing I've learned in ministry, um, as long as I've been in it, is God is not efficient. He's not concerned with efficiency. You would think he'd be efficient, you know. I think he wants us to be good stewards, of course. But he's also very extravagant. Blessing of a God who doesn't have a problem pouring out a blessing or blessings upon blessings upon one person versus spreading it out so that everybody gets a little. I've seen him do both. He's just not efficient that way. When it comes to ministry, as we saw with Philip last week, he's not efficient. And maybe in the grand scheme of things, he was by getting one Ethiopian who was high up in the government to get saved, and now that guy's going to save a bunch of people, so that was efficient in the long run. But to take Philip out of that amazing ministry and revival and take this wonderful orator and man filled with the Holy Spirit down to this one tiny road to go run alongside of a chariot on the dusty highway and give him an answer to a Bible question doesn't seem efficient. Could have been a better way, maybe, you know. I mean, he's let donkeys talk to prophets. Why couldn't he just have the horse turn around and say he's talking about the Messiah? You know, something like that. Could have. He's not efficient. And I've taken great comfort in that because there are times when I feel like, um, and maybe you felt the same way, your time could be used better in other ways. You know? Why am I doing this when I could be doing that or whatever? Well, I don't know why. Why do the grandkids get you dropped off and I've got to watch them today? You know, kind of thing. That's never happened to me. They don't. They rarely drop the kids off. Maybe they don't trust me. But maybe that's happened to you, where it's like I, I was expecting to have a day. I was expecting to go do this, and my kids say, I, I, "The babysitter, you know, you know, quit on me, and I've got to have you come watch my kids." It kind of ruins my day. Maybe there's something going on there. You know, maybe there's a time, or a, maybe this is the moment where that little kid is open to hearing the gospel, or open to hearing a story from grandma or grandpa or whatever. This is the moment that kid gets saved. This is the moment that the grandkid that you've been praying for that would grow up to love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength actually gets it in their spirit and are changed and transformed by it. I mean, you don't even know. So taking it a day at a time, a step at a time, and taking it as it comes and accepting it as God's plan for you that day is a real blessing and takes a lot of pressure off. I spent a lot of time trying to make my schedule happen, you know, get things done on time, and then it's just not happening. I was working on our cow stanchion, tails from the farm. Are you ready? And nothing was going right. I built this stanchion when it first came. Stanchion is where you put the milk cow in so you can milk the cow and it doesn't kick and freak out and all that. So you build kind of a stand with a big feed trough, big fat happy cow sits there and eats while you, you know, you do your thing. And uh, that came together. I mean, I put that thing together in probably three hours, solid, strong, two, six by six. You know, I mean, I made it heavy. It was great. Well, Jenny says, well, I, she has a hard time getting up on that step, you know, because she's a ramp. It's a cow. Cows go down in ravines. They come out of ravines. You know, they do all this. She, she, she tripped coming out of the stanchion. I don't know, I built you a ramp. Tiny little ramp, four foot long. In fact, I did the Tisa's uh, wedding the other day, and I noticed, I noticed he built this ramp to get in there for Grandma and Grandpa. I said, well, that's how I'm going to build the ramp for the stanchion. I even had it in my mind how to do it. Took a two-by-six, cut it corner to corner so it had two wedges. You put it like that, you put some two-by-sixes two across it, and there it is. It's done. Lickety-split. Not lickety-split at all. So I built this thing, and I put it on there, and put my foot on it. The whole thing fell apart. None of the screws were long enough. I thought they were long enough. I wasn't going through a lot. Of nothing. Ah. 
So I got some longer screws. Well, they were too long. Then my battery went dead. Oh, charge the battery. The other battery wasn't plugged in. I always plug that battery. It is not plugged in. So I'm sitting there looking at this barn and saying, you don't want me doing this today, do you, God? I could tell. It's something that takes two days, happens in, in, in three hours when God's with me. And when God is not with me, something that takes 30 minutes takes 14 days to get done without the Lord. I can tell that now. And I've learned to just stop and say, this ain't happening. And I can walk away happy. I can just tell her, this ain't happening, Jenny. God's not with me. You know, <laughs> you're not, you're not getting your ramp. God's not in the ramp. I got the ramp built eventually. But in the process of getting ready for it, I had to go to the store. In the process of going to the store to get the right screws and to get the right wood that wasn't re- repurposed wood, which is cracking and splitting because I'm cheap. I got real two by sixes. It'll matter here in a minute. I run into that person that was in the dream. Big deal. Okay. Why am I seeing you? How are you doing? Fine. And that person later on comes to Monday night Bible study. He walks in about five minutes late. Some of you know who I'm talking about now. I said, what are you doing here? I didn't think you'd come. You know, we're live and everything. He goes, I don't know. God just told me I was supposed to be here. Well, the guy in my dream that I saw at this, okay, I got it. I'm telling you, God just works that way sometimes. And I've learned when things aren't working like they're supposed to, it's okay. You know, move on and see what God's got you. He's changing your direction for a reason. And we're kind of stiff-necked sometimes, and that's okay. If he has to use something like broken screws or failed ramps, you know, to move us in the right direction. God is going to move Peter in the right direction through this whole series of events, but it's going to be a miraculous, beautiful event. I want you to go get this guy. He's going to come to you. Verse 9, the next day. As they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. I don't know. Trance, visions, and dreams, okay? What's a trance? Is there a difference between a trance and a vision? Kind of. I've never been in a trance before. Trance always makes me think of like, I don't know, weird stuff, you know? A trance, I'm pretty sure every Christian in the world should avoid trances, you know, uh, falling under the influence of some guy with a crystal ball or some, you know, (laughs) know, stirring a big black pot or something. I don't think that's a good idea. So when he says that he falls into a trance, what is that? And part of me wants to dig into it and research and figure it out, and part of me just wants to leave it alone and say, it's kind of cool. Whatever this is, supernatural. And if God ever wants to put me in a trance, cool. I'll take it. If it's God, I want some demonic trance or something, but I'll take a God trance any day. And so I think it's like a vision. He saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners. It's like a, like a hobo bag. You know, you take the four corners up like a hobo is probably not. We don't use that word anymore, do we? A, uh, a, 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 a person without a home. I don't know. Um, anyway, it's this white sheet. 
It's all bound up in the four corners. It descends to him and was let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him and says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So apparently this sheet was full of the things you're not supposed to eat. Dietary law in force. No bugs. You don't get to eat bugs. You know, you don't get to eat um, pork or whatever else is in this sheet. He's looking at it saying, no, that's a, that's a camel. I'm not supposed to eat camels, you know, or whatever. Um, he says, no, I want you to eat it. And so his response was, not so, Lord. Almost like Peter said, you're testing me, right, God? I'm starving to death. He put out some tempting food out there. I remember Jesus, wilderness, stones, bread. Not so, Lord. I'm guessing. I mean, I don't think he's being disobedient to God saying, you told me to kill and eat. I'm not going to kill and eat. I think he's saying, I'm not supposed to eat this stuff. I know that. So I'm not going to do it. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Give him three opportunities. I said, I want you to rise and, and kill, and I want you to eat something from this, from this spread that I gave you. No, 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 no. You're not supposed to say what I've cleansed. And that's a lesson for us. God just changed the dietary law for the Jews right here. It's all been done. Right here's the big change. You can eat pork. You can eat bugs. And it's not a one-time thing. He says, no, I've cleansed this. It didn't used to be clean. These were unclean animals. These were unclean things that I told you before you're not supposed to eat. But I've cleansed them now. And once I've cleansed them, they're, they're edible. The whole point of the dietary law was they're not clean. They're not good for you to eat. But now I've cleansed them. Now you can eat them. You're okay with that. Or you need to be okay with that. And, of course, he's not talking about the food necessarily, although he is. He's talking about the Gentiles. The Gentiles are unclean. We don't associate with the Gentiles. We don't touch the Gentiles. We don't talk to the Gentiles. We don't eat with Gentiles. Don't. You know, They're unclean. Don't call what I've cleansed unclean. The Gentiles are my target, Peter. The Gentiles are saved by the cross as well, Peter. And he needed to learn that. Verse 17, now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision, so there we go, which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down, go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. That's the, that's the Holy Spirit. Before it was just an angel, and now he's speaking, and Jesus was before that, and now we're talking about the Holy Spirit speaking to him. So the angels spoke to Cornelius, Jesus spoke to Peter, and now the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to follow these guys, giving direction. So Peter went down to the men who had been sent from uh, Cornelius and said, yes, I am, him who, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius is a centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and, uh, and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. 
you guys want to come with me? You know, some centurion just sent some guy says he wants to speak with me. Anybody want to come along? Anybody want to tag along here? I understand they have been running, you know, and and as far as they're concerned, yeah, the Jews killed Jesus, but it was on a Roman cross. So, you know, it's iffy. Now, he's not doubting necessarily, and I don't want to put that on him just because he brought some guys with him. Maybe he just wants eyewitnesses. He wants to make sure it's documented, so it's not, and that's a good idea. That's a good idea. doesn't necessarily mean that he's doubting. So he says, yeah, I'll go, and I'm going to bring some guys with me. And they, the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them, had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am also a man. As he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. I make fun of this sometimes. A couple times I've taught this. I'm like, it's it's a nice way to meet somebody. You know I'm not supposed to be here, right? Because you guys are gross. It's not exactly what he's getting at. He's actually laying it out for them. He's bringing encouragement to them. They know who they are. The Jews have made it very clear how Gentiles stand. That's just how they were. Snobby. Um, don't get to come into the temple. There's an outer court for the Gentiles. They can pray out there, but you can't come in. They understood their position as far as the worship of God goes. So when Peter comes in and says this to them, this is meant to be comforting. You know how it's unlawful for us to do this, and that's one of the reasons we don't hang out with you is because it's against the law. Never take it personally is the idea, but because God said we weren't supposed to, that's why we didn't. God just told me that that doesn't apply anymore. And that would have brought great healing to these people, you know. We're not second class. We're not secondary, you know. God says that we're saved like, well, we're saved. We can be saved. What a relief for Cornelius saying, okay, we've been in the outer court for how long? We see that the Messiah has come. I've heard about this Jesus, and he's always taking it. What about us? What about us? That's part of the prayer. And Peter comes in and says, you know, about you guys, God told me to tell you, I'm not supposed to call anybody common or unclean. You guys are not common and you're not unclean anymore. You're clean. Oh, I mean, what a relief. So that's how he starts off his conversation with these people. Now, he's come into the room. I I think this is funny. (laughs) Peter, you got to come. Okay, I'll come. He walks into the room. (laughs) There's everybody. It's like an audience. All of his friends and relatives. He's already had to tell the guy to stop worshiping him. He'll get up. You know, I'm a man like you. Don't worship me. That's not right. So what are we all doing in here? You know, kind of thing. Well, we're here to we're here to hear the message from you. I haven't prepared one. You know what I mean? That would be an awkward moment to be brought in and say, We're all ready. Tell us what God's told you. <sighs> a little bit on the spot. So Cornelius tries to explain to Peter a little bit, put him at ease. Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. At the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. 
He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent you immediately, and you've done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Exciting. It's always exciting when you have that confirmation on the other side. It doesn't always happen. When you felt that um, urge or that desire or that calling to speak or do or whatever it may be that God's called you to do, and it's out of your comfort zone, but you know that you heard from the Lord, you're supposed to do it, and you walk in, and you're like, I'm here to tell you this, and they're all like, I know, we've been waiting for you. Whoa, you know. Chills, you know, goosebumps, the whole thing, the whole, oh. It's so nice to have that confirmation that God is working on both sides of things. Now, with that being said, sometimes we don't get to see that happening on the other side. You know? But I want us to rest assured that God is working on the other side. He is. When you get that idea that you're supposed to call whoever and tell them that God loves them or to say, you were on my heart and I think I was supposed to call and ask you if you need anything or whatever it may be, to go ahead and make that call. And, and, and sometimes they may answer and say, I don't know what you're talking about. I, don't, I never, but okay, could you pray for me in this, in this way? Sometimes it's like that. But for the most part, you're doing exactly what God calls you to do. You're being a blessing. You're being obedient. You're being that obedient servant to the Lord. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. I've done both. I've had those moments where it's been confirmed on the other side, and it's like, whoa, you know, that's the Lord. And I've had those moments the other way where it's like, mm, that's embarrassing. They didn't want to hear. They didn't want to know. They had God was not working on the other side as far as I could tell. Some of these confrontations or moments of, and I say confrontation, not be confrontational, but where they are confronted with spiritual matters and they didn't want to be confronted with spiritual matters, just you being in the room oftentimes confronts people with spiritual matters. That's why they don't like if you're, if you're unbelievers or people that are living after the world or living after their own flesh, when they see you come in the room, it makes them mad. You haven't done anything, but the very fact that you represent Jesus Christ bothers them. I want to be in the dark. You represent light. I don't want you here. What I'm doing or about to do, I don't want you to know about. I don't want it to be seen. And you walking in the room ruins the pleasure I was going to have from whatever, you know, and so sometimes we bring that with us. We are the stench of death, Jesus says to them, to some. To some, we're the aroma of Christ or we're the aroma of life. And we can't help that. For this moment right here, Peter gets to be the aroma of life. And it is so obvious. This is a beautiful moment. Peter is learning so much and he has got a weight lifted off of him. He doesn't have to wonder who he's supposed to talk to. He can talk to everybody now. He can be... Sharing the gospel with anybody. It doesn't have to be specific. It can be anybody. So Peter's being freed up. It's being confirmed. Dreams over here, visions over here, coming together, and it's this beautiful thing. And all you have to do is tell us the things that are commanded you by God. So verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Not Lord of few, not Lord of us. Peter's saying this out loud. He's Lord of everybody. This is the Messiah for the world. It's not local. 
It's not national. It's for everybody. And that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism, which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things, of all things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And that's the answer to the prayer. How do we get saved? We don't know if the question or prayer was, we know the Jews are saved through Jesus. How do we get saved as Gentiles? We don't know if this guy even knows about Jesus. We assume he does because he says, you know the word, the word which you know, he says. But he's here to tell them, I, Peter, was shown that I'm not supposed to call anything unclean. We know we used to tell you that all the time and put you in the outer courts, but that's all done away with in the same way that we get saved is the same way you get saved. It's for you. Now, here's the neat part about this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. These guys aren't water baptized yet. There's no sinner's prayer necessarily. Maybe there was. There's no confession. There's no, there's no details here. And I think it's important that it was while Peter was speaking, Peter also needed to know as he's interrupted in this, as he's finishing, he can see the Holy Spirit fall upon them, that God is at work here, and he's just a messenger. It isn't by Peter's power. Peter doesn't have the authority here. Peter's just obeying like a servant, doing what he's supposed to do, says everything he's supposed to say, and while he's still speaking, God interrupts and says, that's good. And the Holy Spirit falls upon these guys in a powerful way. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Those are his two buddies he brought with him. They're Jewish guys, right? So Peter's speaking, and the Holy Spirit falls upon these Gentiles, and the Jewish guys are going, wow. Oh, I mean, this is new stuff. The Gentile church is being birthed right now. They were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. They began to pray in the Spirit and glorify God in different languages. And Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay a few days, no doubt. Can you stick around, Peter? Sure. Now, I have one cross-reference tonight. And just because I want to point this out, have you noticed so far as we've gone through the book of Acts, you really can't make a formula for how this stuff goes down. I mean, I think that's the point. As we read the book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, which is what this is about, we begin to pick up on the fact that, you know, that's not what you did last time. Okay? And so it's not just those two ways. It's the, there's a third way now. There's, 
oh, you can kind of do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it in what order you want to do it. Now, granted, they had an understanding that they needed to be saved. I think that's primary. And they did pray, God, help us to understand what we must do to be saved. And so they sent Peter. But these guys are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit prior to being water baptized. I only bring that up because baptism, water baptism, is not a part of the gospel. And I can prove it from Scripture. And I don't, I don't know that why I have to prove it, but it just seems more and more these days, we really have to get this stuff down. Water baptism happens after somebody is saved. After they've received forgiveness for their sins, and then they go get water baptized. It just is. It's, and, and sometimes they get water baptized, and they don't know what it means to be saved, and then they get saved, and they get filled with the Spirit. Sometimes they get water baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, then they get saved. Sometimes, I mean, it's just the order. There's a scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. As the Corinthian church was known to be boastful about, you know, I got baptized by so-and-so himself. He put me in the water himself. Well, yeah, well, I got baptized by this person. And the bigger the name, I guess the more holy or the more baptized you were kind of thing. And so that was the problem in the Corinthian church. They really thought those were badges of honor to wear. And so Paul responds to that pride and says, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Paul, the apostle, the church planter of Corinthians, says, I think I baptized somebody, but I don't remember everybody. I don't know if I baptized anybody else while I was there. You would think that's a really big thing to remember. A lot of people get all uptight about Billy Graham not baptizing people because they're not saved. They come up, the beautiful evangelistic message is given, and thousands flow out, and they all receive Christ. There's weeping, and there's crying, and there's people's lives being changed and transformed, and people are praying. And then they all go home, and, and, then, and then there's always the critics who, who couldn't draw flies if they wanted to, you know. But you know they weren't water baptized yet, and so therefore all those people, <laughs> you know, puffing on their pipe in their big leather chair and never done anything for the Lord. Well, what's happening then? Well, Peter explained, or Paul explains that. I don't remember if I baptized any. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The gospel and baptism are separated. You preach the gospel, and you can be baptized afterwards. But you preach the gospel. You can believe the gospel. You can trust in the gospel. You can be saved by the gospel. The good news is the good news. And then there's baptism afterwards or sometimes in Acts before. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. But that's my cross-reference tonight, because that's important. Um, we can't add to the gospel what Scripture has already laid out for us. The good news is this, just what Peter just said in the book of Acts, those guys. He just laid out the very simple presentation. And, and it's not even very... You know, it's not very grabby, like, and, and how do you feel about your sin? And, and you know, you, you, do you know how wicked you are and all that? He just, this guy's kind of already prepared. Cornelius has already got his heart right. He's already cried out to God to show him how he must be saved. And all Peter has to do is show up and say, um, after we were filled with the Holy Spirit, we were witnesses of all these things. Him God raised up on the third day, showed him openly, not to all. We all saw him, raised from the dead. He commanded us to preach and testify to everybody, ordained by God, judge the living and the dead. To him the prophets witness. Through him, whoever believes in him will 
have received remission of sins. Very simple message. Whoever believes in him will have remission of sins. And everybody in the room said, well, I believe. You could hear them under their breath. We don't read it, but it's all like, well, I believe. And the Holy Spirit just went, poof. And Peter's like, we better get some water. Let's go do some. Can anybody give? Let's water baptize these guys. That's the first act of obedience for these guys. Separate from the gospel. I love the book of Acts because it doesn't ever change. It doesn't ever end. The book of Acts continues on all the way to 2021, Maryville, Missouri. And God can do or not do. He can be efficient. He can be inefficient. He can work on my heart and somebody else's heart at the same time. He can bring us together so that he gets glory as I'm obedient to him and, and receive new instructions from him. And somebody else, because I received these new instructions and was obedient to him, they get blessed because I followed the will of the Lord, you know, did what God called me to do. And these beautiful things take place. I think he wants to do so much more of that, so much of that in our lives. I think the only thing that gets in the way sometimes, or probably most of the time, is us. That's what I take from this. Peter could have said, no, I'm, I don't want to rise and kill and eat. I got some, they're making breakfast for me downstairs. I'm waiting for that. You know, there's a lot of things he could have been doing. Oh, I don't want to go to the Gentiles. Not so, Lord. I want to stick to the Jews. I want to stick to what I, want to stick to what I know. I don't want to be, I don't want to spread out, you know. And God wants to do, I mean, it's exponential what's taking place here. In Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the other uttermost parts of the world. I want the whole world saved. And now we are moving. We've got Ethiopia. We've got some, some guys in Joppa now. We've got Peter being moved over here, Philip being moved over here. Things are going, all because people are ready to do it and be obedient to God's call. So be ready for that. I think we all realize that our workplace and our homes and our schools, those are obvious spheres of influence that we have. And yet sometimes God wants to take us completely out of our spheres and take us completely someplace. I'm not comfortable here. That's why I need you over there. Take us completely someplace else and use us. Peter, I want you to go talk to the Gentiles. Could you send Paul? <laughs> He's kind of gung-ho right now. I want you to go, Peter, because you need to learn this. Okay. And it works. And that's where we close tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your heart for all men. And not only that, you could have saved Cornelius and his household in so many different ways, but you wanted to use Peter if Peter was willing. You wanted to teach Peter something if Peter was willing. And so, God, we want to be people that are willing and open to being used by you, and directed by you, and sent by you. And in places beyond what we kind of think is our spheres of influence, but if you want to go someplace else with us or do something different with us, God, help us to be obedient to that, to trust you, and to go, Lord, to actually go do it like Peter did. Just, yes, and he went. He was so blessed by being obedient, and we know we will be too. So that's our heart. Keep our eyes wide open this week, Lord, to see opportunities to minister, opportunities that we didn't expect, and to follow you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, be glad to pray. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week. Keep your eyes open. Never know what God will want to do with you.